Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. FBI Lone Wolf Study Shows Only You Can Prevent Attacks. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist, and your terrorist therapist. Well, yes, I know. I, I love to pick these titles that kind of make you scratch your head and say, what is she talking about? Well, this is a fascinating study that just came out uh, technically, the title is that it's a study of lone offender terrorism in the United States. And um, there are some really interesting findings in terms of demographics. And, um, and what particularly interested me, of course, is the psychological aspect of it. What kinds of um, disorders the people were suffering from and, um, you know, who was diagnosed before, who was diagnosed after, but there are all kinds of other things. So first I'm gonna give you, uh, in this first segment, I'm gonna give you a sort of an overview of the uh, report, uh, the study, and then I'm gonna talk about some specific um, statistics that, um, that really have, you know, when you, when you look beyond the numbers and um, you think about what this means, they are really fascinating. Okay, so, um, first of all, in general, what it, it, it turned out that between, um, they studied 52 cases, the 52 cases that were from between 1972 and 2015, these were people who attempted or were able to commit successful acts of um, terrorism. Now, not all of these were radical Islamists, let me say that from the beginning, it included all kinds of um, people perpetrating attacks uh, but it, what they specifically limited it to were attackers who were ideologically motivated offenders um, you know it wasn't just uh, wasn't just someone going into a restaurant and shooting people because they're angry in general but it was people who had specific ideologies that they were you know in their mind anyway that they were doing this for um, and so let me tell you some of the, some of the ideologies. Uh, the, the biggest ideology was anti-government, and that was 25%. Next was things having to do with race, that was 23%. And a lot of that had to do with um, people who wanted to say that the white race was superior, and, and then people who um, perpetrated an attack in response to perceived racism. Then radical Islam accounted for 19%, pro-life accounted for 10%, and the environment accounted for 4%. 
Um, so it wasn't, so as I said, it wasn't just people taking a gun or, uh, or an IED, you know, some kind of explosive device and just blowing up someplace. All right. So these, um, most of these men had histories of physical violence. They nursed grievances. They wanted to publicize their viewpoints about their ideologies. And unlike what is commonly thought, and especially when someone, you know, when a terrorist is arrested and uh, they talk to the family and the news, you know, puts a microphone in front of the family and um, they deny, or even when the FBI uh, interrogate them, they deny that they had any knowledge whatsoever. I'll never forget that with the Boston Marathon wife. Um, oh no, I had no, no idea. And also Omar Martin from Pulse. Oh no, I had no clue, right? <laughs> well, this is not what this study shows. In fact, and in fact, that's kind of where I'm, where this all is leading. Only you can prevent attacks. And I don't really mean, you know, nobody else is trying to prevent attacks. Certainly the FBI is, for example, Homeland Security and so on. But, um, but the point of that, that's to make the point that, as you will see, that really um, these terrorists gave clues. Many people, most people, they, there was at least one person who knew something. All right. So um, getting back to the general description of this, um, they worried these people who were around them, in fact. And, um, and in some high percentage of cases, the person in this attacker's life knew that they endorsed violence, they were accepted violence in support of their ideology. So, um, and, and these, another finding in general that this study had was that these offenders were rarely um, completely isolated and alone, however, they did, uh, the vast majority, consume a lot of propaganda related to the ideology that they believe in and were willing to support with violence. Um, now these violent rampages, you know, these 52 cases between 1972 and 2015, um, they had to do, they took place at churches, synagogues, schools, movie theaters, other kinds of public spaces. Um, if you're wondering, you know, 1972 to 2015, where's 9-11? 9-11 wasn't a lone wolf, okay? Um, so now, the and so these cases, again, were people who agreed, these perpetrators were people who um, believed in lethal violence. I mean, this is what the FBI, uh, this is a quote from the FBI, uh, who they studied. Lethal violence in furtherance of an identified social, political, or ideological goal. Now of these attacks, 33 involved killing people. And overall, there were 258 people who were killed and nearly a thousand injured. And, um, and I described what they were primarily motivated by. Um, now, so let me get into some of the, I can actually get into some of the, some more of the demographics. Um, first of all, all of these 52 offenders, let's call them, were male. They were mostly white. 65% um, were white. 
The rest were 13% uh, Middle Eastern, 8% Black, 8% Biracial, 4% Asian, and 2% Hispanic. And 90% of them were born in the United States. Um, now, one of the factors that is really uh, important is that at the time of the attack, they were not going to school or working. And I'm going to, you know, that, that's particularly important because um, they had free time to focus both on their grievances, you know, to ruminate on how the world has uh, done them wrong or how some specific people or some institution has done them wrong as well as have the time to plan their attacks. One of the things that is particularly surprising to me anyway, um, is that there is a huge um, percentage of, of these offenders, these lone wolves, who are highly educated. I mean, you know, it, it goes sort of against, um, into, in, or into it's, it's against our intuition, or it's counterintuitive, there we go. It's counterintuitive to think that people who have such high degrees of education would be perpetrators of these attacks in which many of them get killed themselves. I'll talk about that too, what percentage of that and what percentage were suicidal in the first place. So 8% um, of the offenders had um, less than a high school education. 15% had either a high school diploma or a GED. 38% um, had an associate's degree or at least some college. 23% had a bachelor's degree. 10% had a master's degree. And 4% had a doctoral degree. So we have very smart <laughs> lone wolves, except they're, they're not really, they may be smart in terms of their uh, education, but not in terms of life. But, but one of the things that I have long noticed and um, uh, have mentioned when it is a perpetrator and a terrorist um, who, you know, a particular terrorist in a particular attack that I'm talking about, um, oftentimes people, uh, when they go to school, you know, even college, and particularly now, particularly people who come from other countries. Now, that isn't so much the case here because 90% of them were born in the US in this study. But in general, when people come from other countries, particularly um, terrorist uh, countries, oftentimes they, it is during their college education or even sometimes high school education when they feel. Um, discriminated against and rejected, you know, their peers don't, I mean, that was the case with the, um, with the Boston Marathon bomber, uh, the older brother, that he felt rejected in school. And that was part of what uh, got him angry enough to perpetrate, to go along with, you know, radical Islam and, and perpetrate an attack. So, so sometimes having, um, you know, being in school for a long time isn't necessarily good. I mean, in terms of um, not committing a terrorist attack. Um, so, okay, so I was talking about going to school and working. So in terms of work, there were 50%, I'm sorry, 54% who, 
who were not in work or in school. So the majority had lots of time on their hands to think about what was me and um, to want to attack people who they thought or saw were having what they thought was a better life. Oh, I see that I am going way past the time that we are supposed to take a break. This stuff is just so interesting. But I will take a break now. When we come back, I'll tell you more about these statistics and what the meaning of the statistics are. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking today about FBI lone wolf study shows only you can prevent attacks. We are getting there. You will see what I mean. Um, before I get into the work um, status of these terrorists or, you know, well, they are terrorists, not, as I said, not all radical Islamists, but they are, they did perpetrate a terror attack of one kind or another. Um, I want to tell you the age. So the youngest was 15. The oldest was 88. <laughs> uh -huh. Took a long, he, he must have been really angry. <laughs> um, the average age was 37.7 years. Um, but for radical Islamists, the average age was much younger. It was 26.3 years. Um, so, okay, to get to the work, the so I was saying 54% weren't in, at work and weren't at school. 31% were employed part-time or full-time. 4% um, were on disability and 6% were retired, so they weren't working. Um, now, as far as money, 37% were self-sufficient, 29% were supported by their family, and 8% were supported by the federal or state government, <laughs> government-sponsored terrorism. Um, in terms of relationships, 48% were single. Actually, most of them were single in one way or another. 48% um, were single, you know, never married. 23% uh, were separated, 21% were married, and 4% uh, were partnered, 2% were widowed, and 2% were unknown. Another interesting statistic is that uh, 30, only 33% of them had children, and only um, six of these terrorists, these lone wolves, had children under their care at the time that they perpetrated the attack, which kind of makes sense. Um, you know, when they didn't feel that anybody was depending upon them or, or another way of looking at it is weren't getting love from a child either. Um, now, in going back to the employment, uh, you know, it's not just in terms of money, like I told you about, I mean, because apparently between being self-sufficient, presumably through working, but a large percentage had family supporting them. So it wasn't really about just about money. But when you think about um, employment means or lack of employment means that the person can't meet the standards of working you know, what they're supposed to do with their job. It also might mean that they have problems with authority and um, problems working with others, you know, works and plays well with others. They failed that in school. Um, and a lack of employment can cause money problems, you know, if they don't have a family or the government supporting them. 
Um, it can cause grievances, of course, being angry that, that maybe that they were fired or, um, you know, or discriminated on the job in their opinion and that kind of thing. Uh, it also might mean that they showed some kind of inappropriate behavior on the job. So in other words, you know, it's a warning sign for more than just can they hold a job. I mean, you know, why can't they hold a job is more important in terms of um, predicting whether they are going to then bring about an attack. Um, let's see. Interestingly, 37% um, of these lone wolves served in the military. And of these, uh, five or 26% of these uh, fought in a combat zone. 10% tried to join the military, but they were rejected or they didn't follow up because they realized that they didn't meet the qualifications. You know, all of these things, think about the rejection that these people would feel if these kinds of things happened to them. Um, in terms of military discharge for those who were in the military, 42% got an honorable discharge and 16% got an honorable discharge, but had a medical or psychiatric condition. Um, you know, are you putting together a picture? The um, prior, of course, one of the things that is predictive of um, someone who's going to become a terrorist <laughs> is, um, their prior criminal history. So 70% of the people were um, arrested at least once as an adult, and the average was 2.7 arrests. 26% were arrested at least once before 18, and, of, and then um, likely after 18 as well. Of these crimes, 29% were violent, 33% were related to alcohol or drug, drugs, um, and then uh, of the about half of the people who were arrested spent time in a correctional facility where of course you know that is the time to either get radicalized in terms of radical Islam or um, to be you know persuaded to uh, fight for some other cause and be violent you know from other inmates um, let's see I want to get to the psych. <laughs> that is the super interesting part. Uh, you know, there is a people try to whether it's whether it's a terrorist attack, the way this FBI study defines it. You know, people um, people perpetrating attacks because of fighting for some ideology. Um, for again, let me tell you their definition lethal acts of lethal violence in furtherance of an identified social, political, or ideological goal. So keeping that in mind, um, uh, even though a lot of times people want to say, uh, because, you know, of course we don't want the stigma, we don't want to stigmatize people with mental illness, but at the same time, we want to tell the truth about what's going on in the world. And, um, and a lot of times what gets confused is that when you say people have psychiatric problems or people have mental illness, 
um, people take that to mean that you're talking about uh, people with schizophrenia or manic depressive, also called bipolar illness, you know, the psychoses. And, um, and so there's this, you know, defensive reaction right away to say, oh, no, they don't commit crimes, you know, no less terrorist attacks more than other people. Um, but, but there are a lot of things that go into that, uh, such as, <laughs> primarily, such as um, they're not getting the treatment that they need. But, but also, when you talk about mental illness or when you talk about psychiatric problems or psychological problems, uh, it doesn't always mean we're not, see, it's the, the problem is semantics because uh, people use these kinds of words interchangeably uh, and, and we might be talking about someone who has um, claustrophobia <laughs> or um, attention deficit disorder or, you know, something that, uh, not schizo, not a psychosis, okay? So, um, but, and this is all important stuff to know about because it would help in terms of, uh, in terms of prevention. And that gets back to only you can prevent terror attacks. Okay. So in this study, 25% of these perpetrators, uh, these lone wolves had been diagnosed with at least one psychiatric disorder before they committed the terror attack or attempted to commit the terror attack. There were, and that 25% that of the 52, so we're talking about 13 people. And um, nine of these people had depression or bipolar illness. Um, four people had psychosis uh, or another psychosis or schizophrenia. Um, Three people had substance abuse. One person had a personality disorder. One person had an adjustment disorder. And one person had an attention deficit disorder. So, um, and then there were 13, uh, of this, of the 25% of all the people who had been diagnosed before the attack with some kind of psychiatric disorder of, the, of these 25, of these 13 people, um, five of them, and this is kind of, you know, an unfortunate statistic, five of them were getting counseling and or medication in the year before the attack. Obviously, their counselor, their therapist was not doing a very good job um, because they should have recognized the signs and put them in a psychiatric hospital before they had the opportunity to uh, commit the attack, not to mention that the therapy should have been helping them um, to, to assuage these feelings of wanting revenge and so on, um, or having these uh, d delusions. Uh, so, of course, you know, that statistic, five of the 13 people who were diagnosed with one or more psychiatric disorders before the attack, um, it said that statistic comes from counseling and or medication. I would like to, to uh, from my experience, I would imagine, I would not imagine, but it seems to me that um, uh, most of the people were just on medication and actually not getting therapy because, you know, that, that, that is the problem with more than in regard to terror attacks. That is the problem in America in general, that people are getting treated 
by psychiatrists with medication and no psychotherapy. All right, well, I need to stop to take another break. When we come back, um, I'll tell you more about these, the psychiatric disorders that these terrorists had and, um, and their symptoms. And then I'll get to how they could have been stopped beforehand, how the, who knew and, um, and what they should have been doing. All right, so stay tuned. You're listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show, and I will be right back. Welcome back. Today we're talking about FBI lone wolf study shows only you can prevent attacks. And we're kind of getting there with uh, talking about the psychological problems that these attackers had in this study. So um, in, I told you about the psychiatric disorders that were diagnosed before the attack. Now let me tell you after the attack, when of course they were then you know, in custody and examined by psychiatrists, um, there were uh, seven additional terrorists um, who were diagnosed with one or more psychiatric disorders after they perpetrated the attack. There were six of them who were six people. So, so in other words, uh, seven additional people, which is 13%. And um, they had psychotic disorders or schizophrenia. Um, six of them, two of them had mood disorders, two of them had personality disorders, and one of them had an adjustment disorder. Now, in terms of symptoms, this is super interesting. 62% of all these lone wolves, and of course, this isn't really shocking, you know, I mean, I mean, when you think about it, this 62% um, had paranoia as a symptom. In other words, distrust, suspiciousness, thinking that others were plotting against them like that. So, you know, if you think some people or people or, um, or institutions or, you know, like people who were against you for one reason or another were plotting against you, what would you do? <laughs> I mean, it kind of makes sense in a way. Um, you would want to get to them first, attack them first. And so 62% of these lone wolves had par severe paranoia, significant paranoia. 44% had delusions, you know, again, that makes total sense, um, which, uh, which means irrational and false beliefs, and 10% had hallucinations. Now, I, that number seems a little low to me because like a lot of times people do things when they hear voices, um, particularly command hallucinations, which are voices that are telling you to do something. So only 10%. Now, suicide, 40% um, of these terrorists, uh, lone wolves, expressed suicidal ideation before the attack. That's, you know, I would think it would be at least that. Um, and then that's 21 people. And three people actually made a suicide attempt before the attack. And then um, of the 21 who expressed suicidal ideation, that is thoughts of committing suicide, seven died during the attack. Now, presumably these are mostly the radical Islamists um, who, who, you know, of course think that committing suicide during an attack will bring them to heaven and get them 72 virgins. Um, drug abuse, of course, 
was uh, rampant. Well, 50% of them in any case. And marijuana was the most frequent drug, then coke and meth, then LSD, and then prescription drug abuse. Um, and sometimes, this is very interesting, sometimes the um, lone wolf would stop taking, would stop abusing drugs before they, they um, perpetrated the attack because they wanted to prepare for the attack. So here they, you know, you would think that, and that's, it's kind of misleading because sometimes that could be thought as like a healthy thing. Oh, this person is, um, has, you know, gotten clean. This is great when actually they're getting clean so that they can have, they can think better to be able to make their plans to attack. Now, um, I was saying earlier about the grievances. Um, you know, it's a combination. I, I talked about the ideological grievance or the ideological reasons why people would um, attack being anti-government, race, radical Islam, pro-life, environment. Um, but it's not, in most cases, it isn't just having this cause. It is because they experience something personally, such as discrimination or um, some kind of something that would make them feel that they're that they have been wronged so it has to be personal not just sort of a general kind of ideological uh, viewpoint to make them actually commit the attack uh, of course they all pretty much were uh, steeped in um, in propaganda so it is very easy I mean that's the thing people who have personal grievances are very easily influenced by propaganda for any of these ideological causes. Now, here's the part about only you can prevent attacks. Um, an amazing percentage of people, of, of these lone wolves, um, had bystanders observe them, uh, family and so on. I'll tell you the specific bystanders, but, um, in other words, they were known, they were, show, they were seen ahead of time to be having stressors, to have certain um, pathological behaviors, and even uh, for some of them to express, they were, they were known to have expressed violent ideas, and even a surprisingly high percentage, a disappointingly high percentage, uh, expressed their specific attack plans. So in other words, people around them knew of their attack plans and very few did enough, obviously, about it because these people were all caught either, well, okay, for the ones who were caught attempting to uh, perpetrate an attack um, that well could have been for some, one of their bystanders taking action. But the majority were successful attacks and um, they weren't stopped. Okay, so bystanders um, ex observed uh, that people had certain stressors. They were just aware that, that someone that they knew or someone in their family was um, having, undergoing a particular stressor. And, and the stressors were, um, the, the stressors that these lone wolves had in particular, the biggest stressor was money, even though 
um, well, you know, most of them didn't have jobs, but um, that they were being, if they didn't have jobs, they were being supported by their family. But it's, so it's interesting that, um, that 48% had um, stressors, I mean, had money, financial stressors, uh, or were observed to have had financial stressors. Um, family stressors, mental health problems, 44%, and family was 44%. Employment problems, 35%. Criminal or legal problems, 29%. Partner or marriage problems, 27%. And physical problems, 19%. So in other words, um, people in their family or, um, or friends or so knew that this person who ultimately went on to try or to commit um, an attack had these stressors in their lives. Now, they also observe certain behaviors. Um, their 85% were observed to have interpersonal strange behaviors difficult, odd um, behaviors, difficulties with interpersonal relationships. Then the next highest was anger and aggression, of course, that makes sense. 75% were observed to have mood problems, 71% uh, thinking and communication problems, 42% alcohol and drug problems, work and school performance, 40% uh, were observed to have that impulse uh, control problems and recklessness, 33% were observed to have that. Then fewer, less than 33%, people were observed to have weight problems, eating problems, sleeping problems, and hygiene and appearance problems. So, you know, they, people, in other words, people around them noticed that they were having problems with their hygiene and appearance. Now, but the, the, the most important things are, are, are the most, you know, if you see someone who has, um, who expresses to you, or, or, you, or you have observed them express, even to somebody else, um, violent ideology. If, if people, if someone has um, spoken to you about their violent ideas, they have, they're, they're angry and they have violent ideas and they, or they, you know, um, they think about a, a certain cause and they're willing to commit violence for it. Um, this, these are the percentages of people, the bystanders who knew that a certain, that a lone wolf had expressed violent ideology. So a spouse or partner, 46% of them um, observed someone express, well, their spouse or partner, express violent ideology. 28% of, um, of the time, family members observed, they were observed violent, in 28% of cases, families members had observed violent ideology. 56% of mentors, 42% of peers, and 8% of were strangers who had observed this. Now, the, the, the real, the most important um, statistics are the number of people who knew of, observed that a person uh, who ultimately became a lone wolf had specific attack plans. 
the spouse or partner, 23%, family, 4%, mentor, 11%, peer, 10%. Um, and now who took action? That's <laughs> how many of these people took action? Um, there were, uh, of the people who took action, what they mainly did was talk to the lone wolf and tell them about whatever it is that they observed. Uh, that was 54% who talked to the lone wolf themselves. 40% talked to the family of the lone wolf and 19% talked to, oh, 33% talked to an authority figure. Now, you know, that was the, um, those were the people that were more, most effective in being able to stop an attack. And then friends, 19% um, uh, took action. I mean, they were told, told to the friends. Um, and then no action, 23% of this total of lone wolves, uh, no action was taken by, by any of the, their potential bystanders, 23%. So what I'm trying to say is that <laughs> these, now you know, uh, through these statistics, the kinds of things to look out for. And it's not enough to just talk to the person who you're worried about, um, but you need to talk to an authority figure. And that is where things break down because family and spouses and all of that, um, you know, the closer you are to the person and certainly the more dependent you are on the person, the less likely you are to tell the authorities that you are suspecting this. But, um, but obviously, you know, think about all these attacks, these um, 52 cases could have been prevented if the people who observed these things actually took a more effective action. Well, thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.